0: Welcome to our podcast, Geeks, We Are Your Fathers, with three proud geek dads, and we're here to talk all things technology, gaming, science fiction, and more. This week, we're talking Raspberry Pi. Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. I'm Robbie.
1: I'm Pete. And I'm Dave.
0: So in this episode, we're going to be taking a closer look at Raspberry
1: Pi's—not ones you can eat. <laughs> 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 but you probably guess that. Seems a tech podcast.
2: <laughs> oh dear. So Pete, P- I think you were you were heavily into P- uh, Raspberry Pi when it first got launched.
1: Yes. Yeah, so- it's funny actually because a friend of mine her son um ben he was i think 10 at the time ben 10 <laughs> and um he said oh have you seen this really cool raspberry pi computer thing and i'm like no what's that then and it had been all over the bbc and um i think actually the do you know the games designer the guy who did elite is it david Brayburn? i think isn't
2: it yes. yeah he, oh yeah so oh it's tons of
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly so he was actually i think on the original foundation as well so a few of them there was Eben upton david Braeburn, um, a guy called um, Pete, whose surname uh, escapes me, who um, who did the one of the board layouts, and uh, Norcott, Pete Norcott, I think it was, and um, there was a few other guys. But they were they were a relatively small outfit, sort of based at Cambridge University, and there was a few other chaps with them as well. And uh, I'd I'd never heard of this thing. Right, it's basically it was a single board computer. Um, I knew about Arduinos and things at the time, you know, where you could sort of tinker and do maker projects and stuff But this was kind of a revolutionary sort of thing. It was you know, it was a $35 computer basically They were sort of coining it as so uh, and at the time, you know, it was uh, it was pretty revolutionary I mean it had a, a 32-bit micro on board. It was running a Linux operating system So it's basically a desktop. So you plug this thing into your your monitor and add a keyboard and a mouse and uh, it had an ethernet connection on it so you could connect it up to, to up to the web and you could basically use it like a a desktop so i don't know whether you guys have ever loaded uh, like ubuntu onto your onto an old laptop you've done that yeah yeah so i haven't so I, david you're not geeky enough an- obviously an- yeah analog geek i'm an analog geek. Here, yeah. so the first thing you tend to do when you're when your laptop is old and knackered is that the easiest thing to do is just you know take windows off and put ubuntu which is the open source operating system for linux so Basically, what these guys have done is they built this little single board computer, it's like the size of a credit card, and they basically built a Linux um, computer, which you could plug in and just use and surf the web and and code on. And And the whole thing was around coding, right? It was about how can we get kids into coding at a low price? And There'd been things around for a while where, you know, Bill Gates talking about the $100 computer at the time so that any kid can, you know, go and and, and go to school and, you know, because digital poverty and stuff. And this thing comes along at, you know, $35. Now, it hasn't got a screen, obviously, or a keyboard or a mouse, I think, but those things are relatively accessible. And the power supply was just basically like an Android charger, so a micro USB. So they were easy to get hold of. Um, And at the time, um, I think most people even back in 2012 when this thing came out had a maybe an HDMI TV or if you didn't you had an old monitor you could just get an adapter for it but they were pretty revolutionary in fact that you know they were designed to help kids to learn how to code and um, when this thing went live on BBC News uh, and um, the tech journalist Rory kathleen jones i think was uh, sort of you know champion in it and he, he made friends with ebon um, one of the founders who, who'd um he who basically was export what we well, did work for broadcom at the time as a broadcom processor on it um, an arm processor and uh yeah this thing all of a sudden created this massive hype and everyone was talking about it and everyone was following the story it was pretty i guess localized at that time i guess to the uk and um so i decided to write a blog about it so i just wrote a blog about this amazing cool new thing called raspberry pi and about how it could teach the kids around the world to code and you know the fact that it was so low cost that uh, it was really accessible to everybody and um i wrote this blog and we published it on design spark and we and we put it out on social media and the next thing i know we've got Eben uh, upton emailing me saying hey we want to come talk to you guys about you know maybe rs building and distributing this thing uh and the rest is history right and guess uh, we've been doing that now for the last well, eight years, you know, um, building it for them under license down at the Sony Penco factory in Wales, and we have over the years built them in in um, China as well at, at facilities. So that's kind of that sort of how it all came about, really. And then there was this massive explosion, and it kind of took, you know, the maker, the maker industry, right, which yeah. you know, we spoke about before. So mm-hmm. that kind of exploded the maker industry from going from the underground, if you like, which is, you know, there was a lot of these sort of hack spaces and maker spaces and they were sort of frequented by very sort of geeky people. But when the Raspberry Pi came along, it kind of made it really accessible because they built this massive community almost overnight. And, you know, they couldn't build enough of them. I think they only had, like, on the first one, like 7,000 boards. And they could have sold those literally, you know, a thousand times over. You know, they they had so much interest, it was unbelievable. I
0: remember them selling out really quickly because I remember people coming to me saying... Can you get me a hold of one? As if it's like <laughs> yeah, something, like, like some hands. sort of big Apple launch. But
2: yeah, it's... And Pete, you had one of the very first ones,
1: didn't you? Yeah, I did. I mean, I. funny enough, I've got... So I've actually got a panel. So I don't even any, know anything about PCBs. But when they make PCBs, they basically come out on a panel. You've got like, you know, 12 to a panel or whatever. So I've actually got one of the panels, the original panels in a frame, uh, which you can me by Pete Norcott. And... Um, that was really cool. So that was like one of the only things before they even manufactured them. Um, I was sort of showing that to, to, to customers and we were going to trade shows and stuff and showing that. Um, and then I managed to get my hands on yeah, one of the the prototype runs. I think I've still got it here somewhere actually in my one of my drawers. Um, the Model B, which was the first one that came out. And I actually took that home and, and, and Eben gave it to me and says yeah, so you just use these Linux commands, blah, blah, blah. I'm like... Oh Linux! I haven't done any Linux <laughs> programming really for a long time, and I kind of had a bit of an idea. So I thought, yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, it's just basic Linux commands and stuff. You know, did a bit of programming when I was a kid and stuff, but mainly basic when I was young. And um, I basically took it home and I plugged it all into the computer. And I'm like, I get in there right, and you and your little command prompt up. And It reminds you of the days of DOS. You know, I don't know you guys have done any DOS programming back in the day in the eighties.
2: I have a long time ago, but yeah. Yeah, so
1: you got your little DOS prompts, you know, almost if you like. So you have got your little. Um, uh, your little prompt, and you type in basically the, the password. You type in Raspberry, and then Pi is the password, and then it would fire up the desktop, right? So you literally fire up the desktop, and you're presented with this desktop, which is uh, and still is actually based on a Debian release, right? Which is basically a, a flavour of Linux, right? So Debian, funny enough, comes I think from the name of the guy who invented uh, that that version, and his name was Ian, and his wife is called Debbie, <laughs> right? So I <laughs> think they called it Debian. Um, so they did. So basically, it spoke, had a Debian desktop, and it was really, really cool, right? Because, as I say, you, you could get it up, you could surf the web. They had like a code window. They had the Scratch programming on there. Your kids are probably your kids are probably done Scratch, right? Yeah. Pretty pretty simple uh, language. Yeah, I think so. And uh, but what was really unique about this thing is that it had these what we call GPIO pins. So not only could you get this thing linked up to your computer, and then start programming to it. Now it's Python, right? Mm-hmm. Raspberry Pi is a Python-based um, code, and you can write other code to it. And but ultimately, it's built around Python, and and you use a Python um, editor and stuff. Um, funny enough, that that's another story why it's called Raspberry Pi, right? So uh, Raspberry, I guess you can probably guess why it's called Raspberry. Piece of tech, right? <laughs> BlackBerry, <laughs> Apple, all that kind of stuff. And the Pi actually sounds for Python right? So the Pi bit actually stands for the Python, so it's Raspberry Pi, and that's that's why it's called Raspberry Pi. So they were playing on the kind of whole tech scene around the fruit-based stuff, and then the Pi was the bit that sort of similar, uh, which was around the Python bit of it. So, so yeah, they, and what was really cool about this thing is that they had these GPIO pins. So the GPIO pins, if you look at a Raspberry Pi, it's got, it looks like obviously a, like a single board computer, like a PCB with loads of components on, and then you've got all these little pins that poke up. And they're what you call the GPIO. And what that's really cool is that you can then do physical hardware projects with that. So not only are you coding to the thing, but you buy the GPIO. You can connect cables in if you like. and So
0: when you of. can put the hats on top of it and... And yeah, so they developed eventually
1: I... the, the hat protocol, which allowed you to put on, yeah, so you drop basically your your daughter board or your hat onto the top of the Raspberry Pi via the GPIO pins. And that would be yeah your little applications it could be a motor control board or LEDs or whatever. But yeah, those GPIO pins basically gave you the physical computing world. So you could then take your code that you were doing, and not just run the code, but you could actually run code to control things, right, which is amazing. So makers, all of a sudden, pick this up so not only was it targeted at schools but that it kind of the maker industry embraced this product because you know products like the arduino which are amazing um don't run an operating system okay so these things do right so this this thing is an operating system um it's a self-contained it's it's a self-contained computer basically it's it's like a laptop if you like without uh without the casing on it i guess in, in layman's terms and this allows you again say to do the hardware projects and out of that sprang things like raspberry jams did you yeah. ever go to my, one of my raspberry jams dave when we had them Oxford? i did yeah because yeah. you did them in oxford that's I mean,
2: right the oxford office
1: oh yeah so we ran these raspberry jams so raspberry jam basically was a bunch of raspberry pi enthusiasts who got together around the country and there was a guy called uh, i think it was techno teacher um he's still on the raspberry pi scene and he started off this raspberry jam and it, and it eventually became an official a Raspberry Pi kind of meet up, if you like. Um, And basically people would set up their own jam. I think we did while I was at Oxford when a guy who was local to us, um, he said, look, I'm running this Raspberry Jam in my flat and there's like three of us that go to it. Have you got anywhere? He contacted me through through Design Spock and said, is there anywhere you could maybe help us get a space where we could do something bigger? And we said, yeah, let's come and do it at our offices when we were at Oxford at the time. And so that's what happened. We ended up with about 30 or 40 people, actually, wow. uh, these meetups. Everyone bringing their project. just like a B- BYO project. So like every week you said, right, show us what projects you've got. And people come up and they give like a five minute quick talk or maybe longer. And then everyone would share and discuss what was going on and share ideas and, and help each other out. It was brilliant. Um and lots of these guys were part of the hack space movement as well. So there were some guys from the Oxford hack space at the time, because that was just down in the city near from near to us. And mm-hmm. we had people travelling actually quite a long way to come to us to come to our meetups on a on a Wednesday night. I think it was we did it like once a month, and uh, it was great. Um, and then we obviously moved from Oxford, and we kind of had to close it down. But so that really again kickstarted that kind of whole um, revolution around you know the maker industry adopting this, your schools getting it, and then it started getting adopted by industry as well.
0: Hey, that's kind of, it's strange how it's been, the intention of it was very much towards that education and now you see them everywhere. I mean, I I remember seeing, I I went out to Italy once um, with somebody from RS at the time who they'd worked with to actually implement Raspberry Pis into the San Siro Stadium where AC Milan and Inter Milan play (laughs) And ultimately, the Raspberry Pis were responsible for if one team was playing, it would switch all of the lighting to blue. And then the other team was playing, it would switch all of the lighting and the screens and the imagery <laughs> to the other one. And it yeah. was all controlled by, as you say, a, a Raspberry Pi, a very cheap and affordable piece of technology could do something so big and for, for companies that, and for organizations that are huge. And then it's obviously gone on from that to, to really be used in industry as well.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, people pick them up for factory control systems, and they they built solutions around it. And I mean, this is also great. They're such a versatile product, you know, because they connect to the internet. I mean, the new ones, the newer ones have got Wi-Fi. Uh, I think even a five G radio on one of the new ones. But mm-hmm. you've got Ethernet. You can dial into these things remotely. They can be headless, so you don't have to have a screen or a keyboard or a mouse if you like. You can what you what you call SSH into them, for example, where you can actually set up a terminal on your laptop and then over the web. You can basically interact with them and have a screen up on your on your on your laptop. So, which is ultimately
0: what happened recently with the Radio Glow project.
1: Yes, which yeah, which we'll come on to in a minute. Which is an awesome project. So, and that's the thing, right? This whole thing started, you know, this whole maker revolution, and and everybody was creating projects and sharing projects, and uh, and then you got companies like kind of Adafruit, who, who you've probably heard of, you know, who were I think in business at the time, but all of a sudden companies like that rocketed in their sales and their activities because Raspberry Pi kind of was this, this massive interest, if you were. But it took some time, actually, to get some traction around the world. It was really big in the UK um, for a while, and then in Japan, big in Japan. Isn't that an 80s band, anyway? Um, <laughs> yep. so it was a song. It was a song, was a song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who was that by? I don't know.
2: I think it was Japan. They, I think. Oh, I did. somebody, somebody's going to put in the comments and tell me I'm totally <laughs> wrong. But um, some, some, for some reason, my '80s knowledge has failed me.
1: No way. So anyway, so yeah, they were they were big um, in parts of the world, and then the US was a bit more of a slow adoption. I think. Uh, I mean, now it's a lot, lot bigger than it was, and they've got some great adoption. But I think. Products like the, the BeagleBone, which I don't know whether you've heard of the BeagleBone, yeah. which is a, a, yeah, a TI-based product. And it's very similar to the Raspberry Pi, but it's like two or three times the price, for example. Fantastic product, right? But I guess the Raspberry Pi sort of came in at that lower price point and has got that community behind it. And I think that's really re-driven it. I mean, it's not always the best board for the job. They're amazing boards. But the fact that they've got this huge global community with all the projects, open source code, open source um, hardware that goes alongside it. So And the expertise
0: to help you. I think you're right. I mean, that's yeah. similar to... I mean, Arduino is, is very similar in, in Italy, and that's why it was quite difficult for Raspberry Pi to break that market at one point. Yeah. Because Arduino people who, who used Arduino were very, very passionate about it. And likewise, they had that huge community there, and Raspberry Pi has the same. So as you say, it's not always the technically the the right thing to use or the best thing to use but it it has all of the other things going for it with the support and everybody else able to help with with developing things
2: the availability in this the accessibility is is a is a big thing i remember going to the hanover Messe, uh, oh yeah uh, which is a the big industrial show which happens at the end of april every year didn't last year for obvious reasons um and apart from anything else I was blown away by the size of this show having having been used to going to electronic shows for however many 25 years, 30 years or whatever it was and going to NEPCON back in the day and then EDS and then Electronica in Munich and thinking they're big and then you end up at Hanover to go to the Messe where there's 25 different halls but there were people there I mean big names people like Siemens who were including Raspberry Pi modules as part of their automation and process control equipment yeah and this was <laughs> this was back i went with chris liddell so this must have been oh 2016 i went and i've yeah. got no reason to think that it's gone down and and funnily enough the one part of i, I we joke about the fact i'm a i'm a, an analog geek and i kind of am uh, in terms of the connectors world this hasn't really impacted me that much but there's a lot of connector people at the moment talking about the internet of things and especially the industrial yeah. internet of things smart smart factories and edge computing is a big part of huge. that huge yeah. and and raspberry pi has got applications in edge computing bringing the technology bringing the intelligence to to the factory floor yeah and it's an easy way of doing that isn't it you, you put this tiny little board in a tiny little box and you plug it in and then you've got processing power right at the point where you need yeah.
1: it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because actually Raspberry Pi saw that and they they made they've, they've been, there's been there's quite a few versions of the Raspberry Pi out now, right? And they start with a B, then they went to the A, then they did a compute module, which was kind of designed at you embedding that into maybe an industrial application. so it was just like a mm-hmm. gumstick size thing. And, yeah. you know, now and, and the so they and now you've got the Pico, which is what, five quid or something? It's yeah. just ridiculous. It's, in fact, I've ordered one. I'm still waiting on it. Just a mind but I chased it up. Um, so. You know, and then they had the, the, the zero, which was, I think I got my first zero when it came out on the Magpie magazine. You know, they gave it free, mm-hmm. gave it away free, you know, like on a computer magazine. And, um, I, and it's just incredible how it's going from there. But I just want to touch back on a thing. So when I said about open source, so just to be clear, the Raspberry Pi isn't open source hardware, right? So the Raspberry Pi itself is, um, people say, oh, it's open source. Well, actually, what's open source is the software element. So I guess that's what where right. many people get confused. Okay. So you can't go and get the Raspberry Pi design files and build your own Raspberry Pi. I mean, people will try and reverse engineer it, but but ultimately it's not open source hardware. But what is open source is in effect, you know, the Linux operating system it sits on because people can take, you know, a vanilla flavor of it and they can develop their own on top. Obviously, because then you can build your own applications and build your own versions of of, of the desktop, etc., and whatever you will run it for. Or... Um, Yeah, you know, or you can share open source code and most people were sharing, you know, the code and they share that through various means, either GitHub or any, you know, forum who's got um, a repository where you might want to share code or. Uh, design spark even or instructables or all these sort of places so um so yeah uh, it's it, it is really cool and so when i when i first got one in my hands as i say we're talking earlier and i brought it home and i got me you know i sort of knelt down put you know knees on the carpet got my keyboard out you know remember those days <laughs> you know where you used to go down down to the the um W. H. Smiths, you know, here in the UK, and the news agents, and you would get yourself your computer magazine every week, and I'd get the Commodore sixty four out, and I'd stop, you know, <laughs> typing in all the code, you know, and get syntax errors everywhere because you'd made a tiny little mistake, and you uh, can never find and you can never find it, you know, and then so I I was very rusty. My mate came around, actually when I got it, and he did a bit of Unix programming when he was um, a, a, an apprentice, so he helped me sort of, you know, do a few things and commands, to sort of get it running and stuff, and it was amazing. Uh, you know, and and it's developed so much from there. But yeah, that 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 for me just brought back so many memories of when I was a kid and running into dixons and typing, you know, basic, you know, ten print pete is cool 20 go to 10 and it was scroll up and down the screen you ever do that dave yeah yeah robbie's oh, going what's yeah. that all about uh, <laughs> no i remember so yeah you used thing. to get all the computers lined up in dixon's in the in the electronics store and then you basically they because they couldn't lock them like they used to like they can these days and yeah you would just go to the command prompt and type that and run away and you'd have all the screens displaying your name um <laughs> we used to see that so just reminding me reminding me of that really and uh but yeah, and then say the Raspberry Pi is, is incredible over the last, what, 2012 I think it launched, and you know they've done a, a new version probably pretty much every year, sometimes I think maybe two, um, and it's just taken the world by storm, and it's everywhere, as you're saying, it's in industry, it's in makers, it's in schools. I like Um, trying
0: to find them in the wild when you're out in shops and things now and you can just, you see a screen (laughs) and you think that is a pie. That is 100% a pie showing me that information. And more often than not, it is. I mean, I I work a lot with design agencies and things as well. And the amount of agencies that just have a little room full of Raspberry Pis just because they know they'll use them and they know that it's a very easy solution and it doesn't take somebody with huge amounts of of experience in in coding it just takes people who who know what they're doing with certain certain platforms and um, yeah and to get them working for certain applications but yeah there's there's always there's always some of them (laughs) out there in the wild especially when you're in clothes shops and things recently I, I noticed those
1: yeah, they are. And that's the thing they they use your digital signage. And but yeah, well, I guess the good thing about pies as well is that coders who are coding guys, you'd never really touch hardware. And we've seen this in the industrial, you know, sorry, not just the Internet of Things kind of area. So you've got coders who are doing IoT type applications. They've got no experience with hardware, but it's really easy for them to pick up yeah. um, a Raspberry Pi, do their coding to it because it's all Linux based. You can do C++ and all that to it if you want, if you want. And then you can just deploy that out in the field, connected to the web. And, you know, you can add sensor boards on top and this kind of stuff. You can very quickly do an IoT application with no hardware experience at all. Um, and that's, again, that's accelerated a lot of people and a lot of startups, you know. So, you know, we, I think we've mentioned before, you know, the startups that come out of this. So the one that, that's sort of close to my heart is the, the Pie Top guys who yeah. basically, you know, took this idea. They And the, the great thing about the Raspberry Pi is it is cheap. The hard thing to do when you're going into a classroom with it, and, and I did it in the early days. I managed to get myself on the BBC TV hello, Bob, kind of thing, right, you know, but you know, I went and I went into a with a friend of mine, Sue Black, um, and she took me into her local school, it was um, uh, down in, uh, oh, gosh, what's the name? Where's uh, the good life filmed? Surbiton. That was it. (laughs) Right. And we went and we did coding in a school with kids there. And really hard bit was trying to round up monitors, keyboards, you know screens and all you know and uh, mice and all that kind of stuff and we managed to do it in the end we got we got a bit of a collection together what the pi top guys did is they basically put this raspberry pi into a low cost almost uh it's a laptop style configuration so they had a laptop keyboard it was you know basically looked like a laptop but under the under the hood was a raspberry pi plugged into
0: and it and wasn't it initially 3d printed as well so you could actually yeah. you, could, you could buy the files i remember that and you could buy the files and print it yourself
1: yeah and then just add
0: your your pie yeah. into it yeah. i think
1: it was 120 hours i think ryan and uh, jesse were telling me to print that that first mm-hmm. pie so i met these guys funny enough, because ryan was actually at oxford university i believe um and and they were on our doorstep at the time and they came into our office and started telling us about this pie thing and they said oh yeah we've used design spot pcb and we've you know used your mechanical piece uh, your mechanical design tool this design spot mechanical to do one of the first um, editions of this and yeah they literally Printed it. I had to stay up with it all night and take shifts because <laughs> it took 120 hours to print. Three uh, D
2: printing is never as easy. No, as I can no. By a printer, as no. Well. No. no. Although, although you say that, one of my about my only real claim to fame with anything to do with Raspberry Pi was I actually created the first three D model. Oh yeah, you did the Type B Raspberry Pi for the RS website. Yeah, um, you should get that and, on a T shirt, Dave. <laughs> I know. I, I was, <laughs> I was designing 3D models of Raspberry Pi before it was cool. <laughs> um and I can never I remember actually designing it thinking well we're going to publish it but who's going to want to use it. Yeah. And and I don't think the guys actually did it you know they never would have printed a, th- a Raspberry Pi because you've got the real deal but the fact is you it's need a space a, model. A 3D model sometimes. Yeah. It's a space model. Yeah. You need it to to arrange the space around it. So um I don't know how many times <laughs> it got downloaded. I could probably still go and find I'll out. I'll go and, and find I out, out right. for you Dave. So yeah, your model so... Um,
0: yeah. your model could have been responsible for Pi top. They could have used that. Hey, you, had your, you played your that, part there, Dave.
2: <laughs> now, that's a claim to fame. That's, you know, you'll probably find it's been downloaded three times, and twice of those are me checking it. Um, and, yeah, yeah, to be honest, but,
0: what you were saying there as well, Pete, what's great about the Pi Top that I really like is that, as you mentioned earlier, Raspberry Pi bring out a new version every year. And the way that Pi Top developed was that, actually, you can just retrofit every time a new yeah. version comes out. Yeah. You're basically upgrading your laptop yeah. With the latest latest version, and it it just sl- slots in magnetic, really really simple to use. And again, I've I've done sessions with children with that as well, and it, it's so easy to get to grips with yeah. and just get started and play.
1: Yeah, it's a great product. And so I mean, that's the thing. It's it's kickstarted new businesses, so startups. It's inspired the maker industry. It's got kids into coding. Uh, you know, they've got these things like you say in 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 industry. They're everywhere. They because they're so low cost. You know, why would you design a board? If you've got like a 100 things to put together, you wouldn't design your own PCB. Just use a Raspberry Pi, stick it in a box, put yeah. some code on it, add a couple of, you know, maybe, you know, design uh, or add on some additional hardware like via the GPIO pins and off you go, you know. And it, it's just, it's just incredible. And, you know, the, the projects, I mean, I know we'll come on to it a bit later on, but some of the projects that have come out of Raspberry Pi are just absolutely incredible. And some of the cool things that people have done. Uh, oh. And they've even put one in space. They've even went up to the International Space Station and they put one and Tim Peake, I think, did a... Yeah. Mm, I, yeah,
2: yeah, I remember Tim Peake talking about it. And
1: the paperwork they had to put together for that was the size of about 10 telephone directories, I think, just to make sure it wouldn't <laughs> interfere with anything, right? But I remember Edward yeah. telling me. But what what an incredible achievement to get at Raspberry Pi in space. And other people were putting, I think, these into, um, I think, some of these little Pico satellites as well. Um, there's this, there's a whole um, uh, Pico satellite community who are doing like these sort of amateur satellites that you can stick onto, it's uh, sticking to low Earth orbit. Uh, and you basically, you know, there's a there's a whole group of people around the world doing this. And basically you you're go and find your local rocket launch place, I guess somewhere you know, or else, it'll be somewhere in Kazakhstan, it'll go up on some Soyuz <laughs> rocket, I guess possibly wouldn't get there because it would blow up on the way but um and and yeah they've been putting these things into sort of you know low earth orbit for, for satellites and stuff as well so there's they're such a, an amazing piece of kit and i've got them everywhere and i've had them doing things i've run plex servers off them i've done little projects i've um, done a bit of coding with the kids and i build little projects and they're just yeah amazing pieces of kit for the price Um the fact that they've got this massive global community just makes it such a simple thing to get into
0: and it's always good as well. I mean, I, I know from my own experience that you tend to buy the new ones when they come out and you yeah. end up with the old ones. They're still useful. I mean, I I try and pass mine on to uh, somebody who is trying to get started. And just every time you get a new one, just make sure you don't end up with a, a drawer full of the old <laughs> ones because that's that's very easy to do as well. I mean, I I yeah. learned that the hard way. I think I had about seven or eight that I'd used and I'd kind of just discarded somewhere. And then I thought, actually, somebody can still get use out of these. So. <laughs> Just anybody listening, if you've got pies sitting around, go and give Donating. them to somebody who can actually use them and, and get them into coding
1: as well. So I, I just got a cool new one as well. So the, the Pi 400, which is, if you've not seen it, is cool. It's basically the concept sort of the Pi top, but it's no screen. So it's yeah. the Raspberry Pi stuck in a keyboard. And on the back, you've got your connectors. So all you need, uh, it's got a mouse, console. all you need basically is a screen. And if you want to, you can stick a, a regular webcam on it. You need a, you need to run some code to do it um, to pull that down um but you know you're thinking about digital poverty again and kids working at home during the pandemic and laptops are expensive you could almost have a classroom out of a box for like 100 and something just under over 100 pounds
0: i've seen organizations like, who've been doing that they've been actually yeah. trying to get hold of at least sort of 50 to 100 of those and again when you're looking wider and you touched on earlier the, the fact that they're produced in south wales they're not produced yeah. out in china Some might
1: be, so maybe a disclaimer, but I think a lot of them are done here in South Wales, yeah. Yeah. The
0: fact that there's no shortage in terms of getting them in. I mean, you you just need to look over at Sony and the PlayStation 5 and the semiconductor shortage to see how much of an effect (laughs) there is at the moment on on technology. So the fact that they're able to be produced affordably and locally means that you're able to also get them out, which is really good. Absolutely. You um, mentioned as well there, Pete, around the project. So that takes us on nicely to our, our next <laughs> item, which is In Pursuit of Dispute, where we all agree to disagree about any given subject. So keeping in with the theme this time, what is your favorite ever Raspberry Pi project?
1: So I'll kick off, I guess, just... Uh, and I'm going to be biased and choose one of the projects that I've done or been involved with, <laughs> because there are, there are literally probably millions of projects out there now, aren't there, that you, that you can do, and there's been a lot of duplication. But... Um, and Dave will remember this, and yeah, I think you do as well, Robbie. But yeah. back in 2014, was it? I just forget what the date is now. Um, we had a call from Mattel Toys at the office, and they said, "Oh yeah, we want to. Um, we're doing this Extreme Toys Travel Campaign, and it's Mattel Italy. This was that was doing it, and we want to send one of our Superman action figures into space. Can you do it? And we went, oh yeah, all right then, we'll do that for you, no problem, right? <laughs> no idea where we're going to do it." And then got Googling and a guy that I think we'd met at one of the Raspberry Jams, a guy called Dave Akerman. he's a what they call a HAB enthusiast. So it's a high altitude ballooning um, guy. So basically what they do is they stick things on weather balloons and they track them and they go and chase them and see how far they can get. Um, and in, in in the summer, you, these things can go like a few miles. But in the winter, I think with the jet stream, I think you can actually get to as far as like Russia and sort of places like that, which is incredible. But anyway, um, so... We we met up with him and then uh, our old friend of ours as well, Jude Pullin, who I who in fact the first time I met Jude Pullin, he'd done a Raspberry Pi case on Design Spot made out of cocktail sticks, um, <laughs> cardboard. <that's> cardboard. Right. <laughs> He loves yeah. cardboard
2: yeah. That's it The co- The cooling vent Was a hole cut out Of a corrugated piece of cardboard yeah. With cocktail sticks over it To make the vent That's right It was I mean it's a work of art Jude is a well, genius
1: And he actually used Tic Tac box And the little um, <laughs> Bits of plastic And he used them As light tunnels So he put them over the LEDs And that would then He put them in into the cardboard Or the, the yeah. fascia And they would light up It was absolutely amazing So I met Jude When he did that So I knew he was A card modelling guru At the time he was working For Dyson modelling Vacuum cleaners and stuff uh, in cardboard, and um, he, uh, I, I commissioned him basically to build a capsule for Superman, and then I made friends with the Reading Hack Space uh, via Alex. So Alex Gibson, again, one of the Jam guys, used to be with us at Oxford. Um, he's he became a three D printing guru as well, but he, he introduced me to the guys at the Reading Hack Space. So I met a load of guys there. So Richard and and um, Ryan and Gary and all the guys that did um, um, the boat project with sequest. a sequest <laughs> so we basically they 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 did all the pcb out. so richard did the pcb out for us and uh we got the 3d printing bits and stuff done with um uh alex and then we also had um you know due to come along and do the capsule so we cut superman open we put stuff inside and we made these little pcbs and then to track it we used a raspberry pi based tracker so dave akerman had actually invented this thing called the um uh, pie in the sky basically. And it was a little headerboard, you know, little um hat as you call it, isn't it, that sits on top of the Raspberry Pi. And it's basically a radio transmitter with a GPS position. Right. And you would connect up to that and then you get the position of it. So we had that as a tracker and we also built our own um using spot PCs PCB as a backup. And then we used three Raspberry Pi cameras as well plus some HD Sorry, 4K cameras from Panasonic. So with the Raspberry Pi cameras, yeah, yeah. we're taking stills. So we basically had, like, uh, three Raspberry Pis on board. Four Raspberry Pis on board. One was an A with the tracker, and then we had three Bs, I think, with the camera modules and the SD cards taking stills as we went up and record everything. Um, So, yeah, we stuck that thing. The whole thing weighed about two and a half kilos. (laughs) And uh, we got all this together. It was massive. And then we filmed it all, and we basically sent it up to in old money 120,000 feet I think it was so it's about 22 miles uh which I think is about 33 kilometers depending on where you are in the world and what measurements you want um and this thing we filmed all the way up and we tracked it and we basically chased it um in the chase cars we had the Yagi aerials out because it was basically putting a so it works on 433 megahertz radio signal. It's coming back uh so we were tracking it sort of basically on on some on the hand one of the ham radio frequencies and um we we chased it and we ejected superman as well so basically we got to a certain height what, the video is amazing if you got to watch it i think if you google superman space travel on youtube you'll get it yeah and that's the uh, link that's the link, that I that's the that link that Yeah, <laughs> and it goes oh, up, yeah. gets to 22 miles and basically we eject out superman uh and then the capsule comes down the balloon bursts automatically the weather balloon um just in the atmosphere at about that height as well so we chuck superman out first and then you've got two things to chase they've both got trackers in and we basically went and recovered both of them, and we collected all the data and the video, and it made a fantastic yeah projects and stuff. So, so that yeah that that was uh, you know three ris- four Raspberry Pi's sorry, and some of our own electronics, and uh, yeah that that was an incredible project that we did all those years ago. Uh, and so that that's going to be my my pick, I guess for. Uh, for and and I project. can
2: confirm it was twenty fourteen because it right. was uh, Ele- Electronica twenty fourteen yes. in Munich. <laughs> we had the 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 pod the the module the thing that had actually gone up under the balloon was on our stand the rs standard electronics yeah it was yeah that's right uh, so we so we had superman this model which was i don't know what was, it was 50 60 centimeters tall yeah it was a
1: regular tall. 12 inch um, model um yeah yeah
2: and then and then the pod that he sat in was on the stand and and i was on the stand and so was pete i was doing my own thing with 3d modeling on one side of the stand and pete the whole four days of the show yeah. had four people you know, <laughs> four layers of people yeah crowded round we had the video it. running I in the background didn't we time... as well showing it yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how many times you would have said that told that tale during that week because i remember <laughs> on friday when we were going home to get on the plane you could hardly talk yeah
1: i was hoarse with it. I, it it did get so much interest it was incredible and we've got a load of press interest and we all got on Italian TV and yeah, we got thousands and thousands of views. It, it was just it was br- brilliant. Yeah, we absolutely loved it. So yeah, that 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 for me is uh, one of the one well, most proud moments of a Raspberry Pi basically. It does here. still
0: live on as well, doesn't it Pete? Because yeah. we had we even took it to Maker Fairs. I think as recently as Rome, maybe yeah. 2019. So yeah. we had it at the UK Maker Fair and we had it yeah. in Rome and yeah. even then, I mean there's something magical about especially kids. Because the maker fairs, that's where the big difference is compared to the sort of Electronicas and the big trade fairs. Is there's children there as well, and yeah. seeing their reaction when they're actually realizing yeah. the pod that they're looking at has actually been to space was just <laughs> mind blowing. They couldn't yeah. quite believe it. But was well, space,
1: but it's actually edge, it was the stratosphere. Edge, edge yeah. of space. Yeah,
0: yeah but exactly. yeah, I mean, yeah. as a child, that's still yeah, far of course, enough. it's space.
1: I mean, you <laughs> saw the curvature of the Earth and everything, and it was dark yeah. and absolutely yeah. Flat the Earthers didn't believe awesome. it. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you can hear my dog doing tobacco impressions in the background. It's okay. Mine's
0: been doing that all day. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just waiting for him to start reacting. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm very similar in that I'm going to do another project that was a, actually a, a Design Spark project and another project that was with Jude Pullen. Um, it was quite a recent yeah. one. So, the Radio Glow project, um, which was last July, I think it was, that, that was yeah. launched. Um, but Ultimately, it was just a really great project to be a part of. Um, it's a, an open source hardware and software project that began with the Design spec engineering community, but has actually ended up so much wider than that. And ultimately, they built a DIY kit that can be 3D printed and soldered yourself, and you can assemble it into being a physical globe that once you rotate the, the arm on that globe which is 3D printed you can listen to up to 2,000 different radio stations anywhere around the world Yeah. and the beauty of it is it's screenless so it can literally be operated by pretty much anyone. I mean Jude's son's 4 years old and he was having a great time with it and managed to, to work it. Then it's also been made by Chuck who's a guy out in the US who found Unestructibles oh, yeah. and, and decided yeah. to recreate it and yeah. it, it's been really good to see how it's, it's continued to live on so as we say it was sort of midway through the summer last year that it was first released on design spark um, but since then it's kind of worked its way around every engineering community you can think yeah. of it's been made by sort of a handful of people who have actually shared their their finished product with us and it's just it's been so good in a time of sort of isolation because of the pandemic you're still able to go and explore The wider world and through the the medium of radio, but understand what's going on in the world of music, in the world of news, in the world of debate, if you can understand the languages. But (laughs) it's just been really, really a fun project um, and great to see how it's kind of taken on a mind of its own and, and piqued the interest of so many people.
1: Yeah, I've actually got it in my workshop at the minute. Up the garden, uh, it, it is an incredible piece of engineering that he's done, and it uses uh, rotary encoders, so really high-resolution rotary encoders. From Bournes, to, yeah, yeah, from borns to kind of step through, but it's great. I mean, it, you just—I love the way you just sort of surf around and find channels and. Um, it's it's just like amazing listening to radio stations. You know, I, I mean, I don't like you, but whenever I go on holiday anywhere, I love listening to the local radio. Yeah, because uh, you get you kind of feel a bit more like you're on holiday. Don't it's you? usually you like English that? music though. That's the thing that always interests me <laughs> yeah. is
0: you tune into a radio station in the middle of South America and they're playing sort of 1980s and 1990s yeah. English pop, and yeah. that's that's part of the intrigue is the the fact that how wide certain musicians get and artists that you think nobody else will have ever heard of outside of. <laughs> (laughs) their hometown in some circumstances but they managed to get to the other side of the world playing on the radio but yeah it's it is it's incredible um and it's one of those projects as well i mean you you mentioned earlier the power of community yeah and that's where the the real value has been in that project because it's not just about the how it's been created but because of the the open source nature it actually allows people to then take it on and develop certain aspects so there's there's been talk of sort of creating a, a shazam button so that if, yeah. you find a, if you find a song on a radio station anywhere in the world that you can automatically Shazam that then potentially take that from there into your Spotify account or your Apple Music account yeah, and because be cool. it's all be made open source it means that people can start working on those things and, and ultimately make improvements that, that they think they can
1: yeah, no it's a cool project um,
2: my, my favourite project is I mean, I've, I've never really embraced Raspberry Pi in the same way that you guys have uh, maybe it's because it's fear from my point of view um, I'm not necessarily an electronics guy. And so I've always been a bit nervous about getting one. And I, I suppose I shouldn't, you know, I'm not going to break the thing. Nah. just need to plug it in and try it. But, but I've never really got on board with the idea of one of these projects. I've always been on the sidelines watching Pete do the Superman to space or, or, or sequest or whatever. Um, but there was one that I found and, and we've talked about music before on the podcast and the fact that I like guitars and, I, if you talk to almost any guitarist they'll have a whole bunch of effects pedals you know these these big metal yeah. stomp yeah. boxes that they put on the floor and they do everything whether it's uh, distortion or fuzz or wah wah or all the, the effects that people use to get incredible sounds out of guitars I'm a, I'm a bass player so i use slightly fewer of them but i do still have a handful of them but there's these guys called electro smash electro dot com uh they seem to exist to find the wiring of old effects pedals that aren't in production anymore you know, stuff that that famous guitarists were using in the 60s and 70s to try and recreate their sound yeah um, and, and they've, they've got an enormous database it seems of, of how to do that with all the parts lists and all this kind of stuff but they've also done this thing called a pedal pie and it uses you you mentioned uh raspberry pi zero yeah it uses a little Raspberry Pi Zero board, cool. and it that you build your own little um, stomp box. It's got a, a big switch that you put your foot on. It's got two six and quarter inch jacks uh, for input and output. There's a handful of co- it's probably a, a shopping basket full of components. None of it I expect is particularly expensive, in its own little plastic case. And the idea is that you can use all the code that people have generated for the Raspberry Pi to turn this pedal into whatever it is you want it to do. So they're saying here they've got, there's a there's a database of ready-to-use software that'll do distortion, fuzz, delay, echo, octave, reverb, tremolo, or if you wanted to go really weird and, and do your own effects, you can sit there and, and, and type it out. It's got a little analogue to di- digital converter on the board so that it actually do all the work in the, the Raspberry Pi. and. I've got to say for almost the first time i'm really tempted to sit there and go you know what <laughs> should they this is something i could yeah, try because it's the sort of thing i might actually use if i can dig out another so... raspberry
0: pi from a drawer somewhere then it's on its way to you Dave.
2: <laughs> it's just it just is this little zero and it's they've they've released the whole thing they've got all the parts lists they've got the code that you need to use to make it work uh they lay the circuit out so it tells you how to put it together I was really impressed when I found this and it's this cute little thing just uses a a clear perspex top so it's not the sort of thing that you could stomp on in the middle of a a Led Zeppelin concert it will probably break if you really tried but at the same time this is something you can make yourself and it can do exactly what you want it to do Um, and i have gotta say those those metal stomp boxes I've got three or four of them they're not cheap they're cast iron with, with all the electronics inside them they're not cheap things if you could get something to do your own why shouldn't you yeah so i was that's my little project that that is that might even be my first introduction into the whole actual creating something with a pie
1: sounds cool you should do it mate i mean that's the thing it's that it, the, the pie zeros are cheap as chips the bits that go with it it's just a bit of coding there'll be loads yeah. of youtube stuff and you would be able oh, to yeah. find out to do it easy i mean this is a great yeah. thing about the well, pies they're just so well supported by a community that you can you know it doesn't matter how much experience you've got you should be able to pick it up relatively easily
0: yeah i mean one of my favorite projects i've actually worked on for myself that i still use at least once a week was the sort of retro gaming that you can do through raspberry pi and again i did all of that that was one of the first projects i did where I was just following step-by-step instructions online. And if I was getting stuck with anything, asking the community and and getting responses. So I've managed to develop a whole sort of little mini arcade out in the garage now. (laughs) And it's all based on Raspberry Pi.
1: Very cool. Fantastic.
0: So it's time now for the final section of the show as we each put forward our nominations for Geek of the Week, where we each nominate one person who deserves the title and then ultimately agree on the winner. So, Dave, you went last there. Would you like to go first this
2: time? Okay. Um, I'm going to... I don't know if this is a break with tradition. Bear in mind, you know, this is our 13th podcast. I suppose we could say we've got traditions now. Um, but my Geek of the Week is actually Pete. I um, <laughs> like it. He's not allowed Dave to win, Dave of course. Has, he's not, I suppose he's not allowed to win. But, but the fact is I mean I I'm, I'm lucky I've, I've known Pete now for what it is 16 years something like that. Yeah, we've been like that we've worked together at a couple of different companies and then even since I left RS we've been we've been friends and been chatting ever since and it's rare that you'll find someone who is as enthusiastic about spreading the word about technology it doesn't matter whether it's Raspberry Pi or or whether it's you know sequest and it and frankly it doesn't matter if the project is doomed to failure <laughs> has, you know, the enthusiastic there has been a few of them that you've got yeah. it, there's been a few <laughs> things i mean we've, we've been involved in a few things we talked about that never it's probably best that they never actually see the light of day yeah. but the fact is it's you know i can't think of of anybody i personally know who is more enthusiastic about helping people Understand and adopt, and and you know, it's it's not, it's not even as if you're just saying, oh, you need to do this. It's just like you said to me just now. Oh, you should do it, David. You should give it a go. <laughs> that kind of approach is is um, you know, it goes a long way. you engage engaging with people. Uh, yeah, Pete and I have been friends for a long time, so he's probably going to be flushing. <laughs> he's going to tell me off at the end of the call. But the fact is,
1: I'm flattered. This day. is your Thank kind you. of
2: world, Pete. This is your kind of world, and and it's you know, I've. I think it's it's been fun working with you all these years. Hope you carry on doing it.
1: Yeah, did so. Thanks, mate. I'd echo that one, actually.
0: I mean, it's definitely... I don't think I'd be as anywhere near as passionate about even of ever trying out anything with a Raspberry Pi if it wasn't for working with you, Pete, because you are such an advocate of, of everything. And the fact that... I mean, the story that you shared with everybody at the start here in how Raspberry Pi even came about within RS and and how it all started... I mean, that's kind of legend within our business. And everybody knows Pete as the, the Raspberry Pi guy.
1: Yeah. Cool. Thank you.
0: So, <laughs> Pete, who are you up against? I'm stunned. Over to you.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, it's got to be Evan Upton, isn't it, for me? I mean, Evan. I know he's not the only person in the Pi Foundation, and, and but he's one of the original founders and probably... Has been the face of Rosupi. I guess it's the beginning, but uh, the fact that you know he—I think it was initially his idea when he was uh, working at Cambridge University as a, as a professor, I think, uh, or an intake officer, of it was at the time. And uh, yeah, the fact that he had this vision, obviously, to help you know young engineers and get kids into coding, and obviously realize that we live in this digital world now, and the fact that the skills are lacking, you know, he he did see, I mean, one of the reasons behind it was that, you know, he saw when, you know, when we were kids, you know, of of our generation, you know, this sort of eighties, if you like and early nineties, you know, we were, we were doing bits of coding and we were building PCs and stuff. And then when the PlayStation comes along, it kind of killed everything, you know, so kids, kids stopped coding. They, they didn't buy PCs. They bought Playstations and, and games consoles and the kind of PC thing kind of went all a bit geeky again, you know, whereas before we were all, you know, doing Amstrads and, um, Horror 64s and Spectrums and all that kind of stuff.
2: BBC Micro. BBC
1: Micro, you know, and we all cut our teeth on those, you know, especially you and I, Dave, mm-hmm. of our generation. Eben was a sort of similar generation. I think BBC Micro was his first computer and uh i think what he saw like you know the the fact that that kind of generation had kind of got lost and the fact that you know coming in with games consoles has had killed all of that so with this lost generation of kids who didn't know how to code right so this is why you know the pie sort of was born and then he got you know a lot of people to help him kind of develop the idea so so yeah for me just because of that just of the fact that he, he he you know wanted to make sure that the kids of you know today um, and the fact that we're now in this digital economy, you know, and the fact that, you know, code is the new new oil, as they say, data is a new oil, code is a new oil, you know, that it's so yeah. important that our kids get into, or at least learn about how to do some sort of coding, because let's face it, as in future roles, a lot of these jobs that don't exist today, you know, they'll all be, they'll yeah. be code-based or data-based or, yeah. so, yeah, so for me, that's why I think Eben, because he's been a bit of a pioneer in trying to relight, I guess, kids, you know, ensuring that the next generation, that we've got programmers and and people developing, you know, next Elon Musk, all those kind of things. So, yeah, that's me, Eben.
0: Brilliant. And yeah, mine is somebody who Eben would have been trying to actually reach in in creating it in the first place. So it's somebody called Matt Timmons Brown. Um, Yes. People may know him better as the Raspberry Pi guy. So Matt started off very, very early in when Raspberry Pi started actually sharing tutorials, um sharing some sort of easy ways of of getting started with the with the Raspberry Pi and then he started to to blog about it on YouTube as well as on his website and it was just incredible to see because he at the time I mean I don't know exactly how old he was but he can't have been much older than maybe 15 16 I think he was younger than that I think maybe even younger yeah so yeah I mean I remember one of the first things I seen from him was when he created a skateboard using the Raspberry Pi that was an automated skateboard going around (laughs) which was so cool
1: um,
0: and was one of the first viral videos I'd seen but just ultimately he was it's great at helping to get others involved he obviously had a passion and similar to the reasons you said for Pete as well Dave is that he clearly had a passion for Raspberry Pi, um, but he then helped to bring other people in his school, and then ultimately people beyond that, and and in the wider sort of society and, and other schools into realizing exactly what could be done with with the Raspberry Pi. So, he's yeah he's unbelievable. Um, he actually went on to to win a Bright Sparks Award um, a few years back. I think two thousand seventeen. But I know he that he did. actually went on on the back of his, his work there of, of just sort of blogging about something he loved. He ended up with an internship at Raspberry Pi Foundation. He ended up with an internship at Arm. He's been out studying in China. He's been back working for, you know, I think he worked for Amazon at one point. He worked for Huawei at one point. And now he's back at Arm again. So it's wow. obviously stood him in good stead yeah. um, all the way through that. But yeah, that's, that's my nomination, Raspberry Pi guy.
1: Very cool. It's obviously me, right? No. <laughs> so, that I, you know, I, so me, I know Matt, I think Matt is an incredible character in the fact that when I first learned how young he was and he was doing all these videos and he, I think he was, yeah, he was like 13 or 14 at the time. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, what an inspiration, this is exactly what Evan was trying to do. And then the fact that Matt, you know, took and embraced that Raspberry Pi and got all his mates into it and started doing videos and inspiring people for me I guess that's really the spirit of what it's all about so I think for me yeah, I I would would vote for Matt I think he's been yeah brilliant at what he's done
2: I I think I would too Uh, you got to say hats off to Eben for yeah for being one of the brains behind this but but the fact that Matt is a He's he's just this this shining example of exactly what Eben was hoping to yeah. do. He's inspired someone to to embrace technology to learn new things, and the fact that Matt has now got himself a career off the back of this, it's a combination of of having the right tech at the right time, but then having the determination to do it. I think he's an inspiration. Yeah,
0: brilliant. So I will give my vote to Pete because Pete, you do you, you do deserve a vote. <laughs> uh, so. Overall, that's Matt Timmons-Brown, this week's Geek of the Week. Well done. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode. So thanks once again for tuning in. If you enjoyed it, then please do three nice things for us. Subscribe on your favourite podcast platform, leave us a review and share with a friend. For more episodes and bonus content, please head to designspotcom forward slash podcasts and we'll see you all again next time. Thanks, guys.
2: Cheers, guys. See you soon.